Hey everyone, you are listening to The Youth Vote, where we explore the different ways young people interact with politics. I'm Isaac Goff Mitchell. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways that you can help out the show. If you really enjoy The Youth Vote, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at The Youth Vote One. You could leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, or you could just share this podcast with your friends. Today's episode is a little different than usual, as it is an extended interview with Dr. LeGarrett King, who you heard from during our Education in America series. Also, this interview was conducted by our producer, Jamie, so you will hear her voice throughout the episode. Stay tuned. So basically, I kind of want this interview to be broken down into three sections. Mm-hmm. So we're so I wanted to look at some of the big picture stuff regarding school curriculum. And then I had a few specific questions regarding a few specific like um, elements of black history curriculum. And then the third umbrella is kind of about sort of solutions. So to start off, Um, I wanted to know, based on your research and perspective, what are the problems with the way U.S. schools talk about race and the histories of people of different races? Yeah, so um, in terms of kind of the history curriculum, the history curriculum, um, you know, centers kind of Eurocentric approaches are your eccentric ideas and perspectives within the history um, you know, curriculum. For example, if we're talking about black history or any other racialized histories or ethnic specific histories, those histories are usually, um, they usually begin with um, European content or uh, contact or colonization, uh, meaning that the history curriculum ignores thousands and thousands of years, right? Uh, those particular histories only to focus on when Europeans made contact with them or colonized them. Um, Also, you look at this notion where black history is centered on this notion of black first, right? So who were the first to integrate within white society, right? Again, the historical importance of these people were not necessarily before they um, got into white society, but white society is like the marker of historical importance, right? Um, then you kind of look at the various different ways in which racialized individuals are, um, you know, come into play in the history narrative. If we're talking about black history, there's a triad of black experiences, slavery, um, civil rights movement um, and um, civil war and reconstruction, right? So you have all these particular you know, problems where these particular racialized groups are not important historically within the totality of the narrative only in certain places, right? And then you have other things such as, you know, uh, typically these histories are tied to pain and suffering, right? Um, they're focused on black males, middle-class males, and not necessarily focusing on the complexities and the different identities of blackness. And, you know, particularly for black history, they focus on these perfect messiahs, right? You know, um, highlighting certain individuals typically going back to that black middle-class male Christian perspective of um, history. So, so it's tons of 
you know, problems with, with that, you know, um, but, but those are the first things that come uh, to mind. Okay, that, that definitely gives like a kind of foundation to kind of jump off of. From there, I'm wanting to kind of talk about like, why do you think we don't learn an accurate or complete history in American schools? Well, um, U.S. history is based on kind of this progressive, naturalist, nationalistic, positive approach to history, right? I think a lot of times we look at U.S. history as something that is supposed to be this kind of unwavering authoritarian patriotism, right? Um, and when we begin to really start teaching um, you know, let's say black history, if, if, if we begin to really teach through black history instead of, instead of about black history, then what happens is that particular um, historical narrative changes. So you will not have that smooth, progressive, morality, nationalistic um, history that, you know, we love to teach. What you'll have now is kind of these serious critiques on that particular democracy, right? So um, U.S. history has always been developed in a way to tell a certain story, right? And in order to tell that particular story, then others that are not necessarily connected with that story are not necessarily um, highlighted. Now, for those that are that are highlighted those particular narratives are you know sugar-coated sanitized in a way to fit that progressive narrative right to fit the story that we're really trying to tell but if we include other racialized groups within a the narrative then you know that just muddies the history narrative so you know we've got this kind of progressive story that we're trying to kind of deceive our youths with. And I'm wondering what kind of impact does that have on modern day society? You know, believing things like, you know, we went from point A to point B and now, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, when we think of history, history is about identity, right? Um, and it, 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 it tells us who we are, right? Um, history is the first thing that kind of tells us who we are, but also history helps us um, understand the identity of others, right? Um, so when we have a progressive narrative like that, that, that essentially tells school children that, yes, we made mistakes in the past, but it was only a few people that did that, that was not necessarily you know, the aspects of the whole entire country, the ethos of the whole entire country. Um, so we definitely need to just watch out for bad men doing bad things, right? But what that does is that it takes the onus off of society in the ways in which historically our society has worked, right? So therefore, we have no historical memory about anything. Right. So we always come up with this. Oh, well, this is the worst time ever. No, nah, it wasn't the worst time ever. Um, no, you know, oh, this is the first time in our country we've ever been this divided. Uh, just 60 years ago, we were drinking out of different water fountains. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so it's 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 one of those things where, you know, we kind of battle like like even when I think about, you know, what happened on January 6, 2021, we could have learned a lesson from history. Right. In 1877, again, the same thing happened, very contentious election. Right. Where Congress actually had to pick the president. Right. Um, and what happened was, I, I, I believe Taft, you know, you know, became the president. 
And it was uh, Tilden who was the Democratic uh, candidate at that particular moment. And they made Taft the president and they had these concessions. Well, people that were really for Tilden was like, well, we're gonna have an armed march on Washington and you know try to get our person to be the president, right? But the president at the time, U.S. Grant, was like, no, we're not gonna have this. So they stopped that whole aspect of these people going to Washington for these armed march marches, right? So throughout history, if we just learn history and know what happened, how history has pervaded and stop thinking that white people are so morally good, then we will find answers to our complex problems, but we don't wanna do that for some reason. Yeah, okay, well, thank you. That definitely answers that question. Going off that, I did kind of want to know, like, maybe are there any, I mean, obviously, there, the list, this list is huge, but are there any stories that initially come to mind in terms of Black history or the history of race? Something that comes to mind is, like, for me, is the history of redlining, which I never learned about, period, until I got to college in one class that was an elective. And I'm just like, after learning about that, you know, it was mind-blowing. So I'm wondering, maybe you can talk about that or maybe another um, instance that, that yeah. comes to mind. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you know, for me, it's not necessarily about the stories, right? It's how those stories are told and understood, right? So we can even take prominent stories, and if we teach through Black people, right, those stories will look totally different, right? So, uh, for example, if we take uh, the history of Brown versus Board of Education, right, there's a certain narrative that we teach about Brown versus Board of Education, right, that it was a Supreme Court case, it helped integration, um, some people would believe that it, it moved Black kids from poor Black schools into um, better schools, right, with white folk and all these particular things, but if you would actually teach Brown versus Board of Education through Black people, right, through Black perspectives, through Black voices, and, you know, really understand Brown, first of all, a lot of Black people did not want to integrate, you know, they were against the NAACP and their approach to the Supreme Court case. Now, the NAACP chose a winning strategy because they understood if they um, argued equity and fairness, they wasn't going to win. See Plessis versus Ferguson, right? So they had to come up with various different different ways to win. So this notion that Black kids were psychologically damaged for being, from, from integration and going and, 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 and taking these pictures of these particular schools that were not well-funded was their strategy. Even when we talk about the doll test, right? We have this conception that the doll test and all these Black kids selected white dolls, but in reality, 77% of the students that were in that study picked black and brown dolls. It was just the 22%. And the reasons why they chose the white dolls was the focus for um, the NAACP, right? So, so if, if we talk through brown perspectives, again, black, predominantly black schools were good with very good teachers. The only problem was they were not equitably funded, right? Um, so therefore they didn't have up-to-date up resources and textbooks, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what the black community really wanted. Now fast forward, when we began to, um, when we began to integrate into these schools, um, next thing you know, there's this adage that 
okay, now there's an achievement gap, black kids didn't wanna learn. But if you actually talk again to black folk about that particular era, when they talk about racism, they will talk about racism from teachers, right? So therefore you have racist teachers that did not wanna teach in these particular schools and teach these black kids, therefore leaving black kids behind, right? Um, so Brown versus Board of Education, if, if taught through black perspectives is a little bit more complex story than um, we are led to believe. And it wasn't the, the holy grail of Supreme Court cases because it brought a lot of different problems to the black community uh, as well as uh, began some of the kind of the racialized aspects of public education. Okay, that is definitely a huge example. Thank you. Um, and then too, like, you know, you, you use redlining as well, right? Even something as simple as the interstate. Like people don't connect the interstate with racism. Right, because the interstate was developed and it killed a lot of, uh, and, and, and it destroyed a lot of black communities through the ways in which they built, you know, uh, built these interstates. It killed a lot of black communities and that was on purpose, right? To bring people to the suburbs, right? So, so, so all these particular histories are always kind of interconnected, right? With race and racism. Makes sense. Um, let's see. Well, okay, beyond that, I just wanted to ask about what kind of improvements can be made in this curriculum. And I know um, that you have developed a Black history framework. So if you could maybe take some time to walk through those different elements to that framework. Yeah, so uh, in my research and, and through reading uh, historic Black history textbooks, uh, reading uh, historic Black history, um, books written by um, historians of Black history, as well as listening to Black teachers and, and, and kind of researching Black teachers throughout the uh, years, um, I found that there were several different principles that uh, Black educators have been trying to um, tell you know, the educational community, how to teach black history, right? So, so for me, I initially started off with six principles from there. Uh, and now for a more contemporary kind of look at education, I've added two more principles that I haven't built out, um, you know, fully yet. But what I call kind of a black historical um, consciousness is this approach of teaching Black history with the voices, right, of Black people, right, um, the perspectives of Black people, right, um, these particular historical narratives, again, just like I said earlier, when you teach through Black people, those historical narratives change because we have different perspectives. So the first principle from the Black historical consciousness uh, framework, and I purposely did themes and principles and not standards because standards are polarizing and sometimes they become red herrings to, the, um, to kind of the real issue at hand. But these themes I think are a little bit more broad and they can be um, utilized differently depending on where the school is, you know, based on geographic aspects and states, right? Um, so the first theme is um, power, oppression, and racism, right? Um, you know, of course, this is principle one, um, and no legitimate Black history program 
can be um, taught without teaching about the institutional and structural ways in which um, race has played, power has played, oppression has played through the lived realities of Black people. That's just that's just the way it is. That's that's how our society has kind of constructed itself, and we really need to do a very steep look into these notions of race, right? And while you know people would like to kind of talk about you know, individual racism, which is great, right? Uh, but also this, this notion of systemic racism, I think is extremely important because one person cannot destroy an entire system. Um, principle two is this notion of agency, resistance and perseverance. Now, we cannot teach black history simply based on oppression, right? When we teach black history simply on oppression, what happens is that we begin to structure what I would call a victim narrative, right? And it's extremely important to understand that Black people have not been strictly victims. They have been victimized, but they've never been strictly victims, right? So they have fought back through various different means. And that's what agency means, just kind of this pushback, try to make um, you know, lives better. Now, with agency, we have to understand agency in various different ways, right? So the first way of understanding agency is agency that's meant to destroy the system, right? And this is what I think most people think about when they think about agency, right? These are kind of, um, you know, racial battles and revolts and, um, you know, you know, these various different, very physical violent acts of, of resistance, right? But then there's also agency where we call it everyday acts of agency. And while the first form of agency is about destroying the system, this agency is not about destroying the system. This agency is simply about making our lives better within the system, right? And this was probably the more popular aspect of the ways in which Black people fought back, right? So this is, if, if we're talking about enslavement, it's this notion of breaking tools, working slowly, um, pretending you were sick, all those particular things are aspects of agency. Um, so principle three is this notion of Africa and the African diaspora and various different migrations. Um, this is extremely important because again, Black history did not begin with slavery, right? So um, Dr. Uh, uh, Greg Carr from Howard University said one time, if Black history was 24 hours, slavery was one second out of that 24 hours. So there's thousands and thousands of um, years of history that we need to explore. So not beginning with slavery, but beginning with ancient Africa, uh, and then really understanding Africa and the various different ethnic groups and the various different people that live you know, within that continent, right? And the African diaspora is extremely important too, because now we kind of get into this notion of Blackness is global, right? So how, how how is Blackness similar and different in various different parts of the country? And um, those are some really interesting um, you know, teachings and findings. Principle four deals with this notion of Black joy and Black love. Uh, black history is not defined through oppression and liberation. Sometimes Black people were just people, right? And if Black people have experienced joy, I think sometimes when we simply focus on oppression and we simply focus on liberation, we dehumanize Black folk in, in this way that there's some super, um, I don't know, um, um, super people, right? That's always kind of a force and, and we don't necessarily focus on their humanity and their humanity is you can experience joy even through oppression. So it's very difficult for a lot of teachers because you, you have to be careful because you have to teach joy without trivializing the notions of oppression, right? 
Principle five is this notion of Black identities and intersectionality. Again, typically we focus on Black, middle-class, Christian, able-bodied men as the, the top of the Black history narrative. And we need to focus a little bit more on Black women, Black children, Black LGBT, uh, A communities, and all these particular aspects uh, who make up the Black uh, black communities. Principle six is probably the most controversial, which is Black historical contention. And what this says is two things, that Black people were not monoliths, right? So it's very important for us to teach various different approaches of Black history, various different ideas of Black people throughout our society. And number two, all Black history is not perfect. Right. Sometimes we overcompensate for the lack of black history and we made black history pristine and perfect. But what that does, it again so dehumanizes um, black people into these perfect people. And if they're not perfect, then they become not historically important. Right. So we need to be able to make sure that we do talk about the complexities of black people, the problematic aspects of black people through history, just like we teach about all people uh, for us to get a more balanced approach and perspectives for black history. And the two I'm developing real quick, um, just for your listeners, is principle seven is black excellence, black excellence and genius. And what this does essentially is help us understand that sometimes when black history is taught, it's taught as these people are the exception and not the rule. But when we begin to start really looking at black history and what has happened to black people on um, this continent and, and, and around the globe, really and truly black excellence um, and genius is the rule and not the exception. And I think there's particular ways in which we can kind of teach that. And then the last one is this notion of black living history and futurism, right? Uh, for black living history, how do we present um, living historical figures um, who are current and present and how do we um, you know, talk with them as well as how do we reimagine the future through historical philosophies. And those are the two I'm still developing now uh, and hopefully we'll have those by the book. Great, thank you for running through that. Um, I'm kind of wondering now like with, cause I know that there are some school districts that have implemented this framework. What does that kind of look like? Is it like a separate class that is required for everyone or is it like in the existing history classes? So it looks different in different places, right? And that's why I went through the themes instead of kind of notions of standards, right? Because each school district can kind of figure out well, how, you know, can we implement, you know, this, these particular principles in our uh, schools, right? So for example, Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville, Kentucky, they um, utilize kind of an inquiry approach, right? So they have the principles and they have certain um, what, what we'll call compelling questions that each teacher can pull from and begin to teach from there. There's certain school districts that are looking at more integration, right? Integration within their already established US history class. We also have places like Francis Howe, which is building their own black history course, right? Um, which would be an elective, right? So, so we have all these different ways, right? That school districts can utilize the principles and you know, teach them in their classrooms. Okay, that's really cool. Um, this is my last question, I think, but okay, so, 
in my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the overall goal would be to get this curriculum as a requirement in every single school. And so um, I'm wondering if, you know, you've got any ideas of like how that can happen. Like, do we need to go through the legislative process at the federal level and target it there? Or like, I guess, what kinds of ways could we reach that goal? Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, there needs to be advocacy from all different, you know, uh, areas of society, right? So if there's, you know, school children, uh, college students, uh, if there's community members, business organizations, university, um, you know, faculty and professors, legislators, uh, you know, so all the the whole society has to advocate for this notion of Black history, right? Uh, it just can't be one person, it can't be one organization, but everyone has to advocate and hold the legislators accountable for the ways in which they, you know, promote history education. And I think that's the, the most proper way. Now, some school districts kind of go around that by just, you know, creating electives. And I know a lot of people don't like the whole notion of electives because they feel like you like this needs to be required but at the end of the day electives are easier to develop the um, electives are uh, more autonomous right so you can develop the course the way in which you see fit without uh with little interference you know statewide because it's an elective right um, and then you know you, you'll have students that truly want to be in those classes for a more rich classroom experience right so so there's pros and cons to everything but but um i'm not really against the the um, whole notion of electives right yeah that makes a lot of sense um well i feel like we really just like sped through that but that was so much information so thank you um that's all the questions i had was there anything else you wanted to mention right now no, no, no. I, I think we're pretty good unless you wanted me to clarify anything. Um, maybe just, I mean, I know that you, maybe just a little bit of clarity about your work, because I know you are a professor at the University of Missouri, but um, aren't you also involved like in a separate like research project? Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm Isabella Way Lida, Paul Lida Professor of Education, and I'm also the founding director for the Carter Center for K-12 Black History Education, right? So the Carter Center is a research and professional development center, right, that helps improve Black history education worldwide, right? So we do that through research, and, and our large question is we're trying to figure out what's the status of Black history, but we don't want to go through it with a deficit mind frame, because I think that's very easy for us to see what's going wrong with Black history. But what we really want to do is see what's going right with Black history. So, you know, our research is kind of centered on that. Um, our second, you know, um, goal is teacher professional development. And we have professional development throughout the year. But our Super Bowl is the uh, Teaching Black History Conference, which happens every um, summer. Um, this year, July 23rd through the 25th. And our topic is, our, our theme is teaching uh, Black Wall Street, right? And other race massacres around the, uh, you know, um, history, because this is the 100 year um, anniversary of, the, of, of that horrific event in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And our third one is this notion of networks. Uh, we want to be kind of a central hub 
of Black history educators around the country, um, you will find out that there are several different, you know, and many different Black history educators around the country, but we just don't know each other. So the Carter Center kind of kind of brings everybody together, creates these, uh, you know, networks and relationships so people can share resources um, and actually teach through that. And then last is our part of advocacy, right? So uh, advocating for Black history with school districts and, you know, for school, uh, for state legislators and everything like that. So those are kind of our four goals, right? Right for the Carter Center, and we've been at this since 2018. Wow. Okay. And the Carter Center is based in um, at the University of Missouri, or is it all over? Yeah. So right now um, we're housed at the University of Missouri. Okay. But okay. But obviously, like with the conferences and things, like there's participation from all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, it's global. So last year, we had over a 1000 educators attend the conference. And we, you know, of course, our, our largest contention was uh, United States, but we had people from Canada, the UK, New Zealand, Australia, all over the world. So wow. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, um, Dr. King. This was a very interesting conversation. So yeah, thank you again for your time. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good day. You too. Okay, I want to say thanks so much to Dr. King for speaking with us today, and thank you all for listening. Tune in next time for another great episode. The Youth Vote is hosted by me, Isaac Mitchell, produced and edited by Jamie Hobbs, with cover art from Cole Callahan, intro and outro music by Ennio Gallucci, and social media management by Bridget Junker.